0: So gross. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't keep it up. Guys, guys 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 we finally made guys, it guys we did it we made it to the buddy holly episode everybody i don't know if you guys know this but me and ian we kind of really like
1: buddy holly i mean i may have mentioned that i have him tattooed on my arm no that's a tattoo of yourself we've talked about this damn i've aged poorly <laughs> <laughs>
0: But in, in all seriousness, I we we kind of do have like a theme where we uh, in general don't really uh, venture into truly popular people. You know, we, we 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 talk about a few people who really have yeah. some name recognition, but like Bob Dylan, yeah, like well, we have never done an episode. Okay, we never done an episode about Bob Dylan. We talk but about, but we Bob mentioned Dylan we mentioned
1: episode. famous artists like yeah. Bob Dylan all the time, but we. Rarely ever do famous yeah. artists, and so this is, I think, one of those
0: times where we're we're really going to like you know step around that for the first time and uh, do a full episode on Buddy Motherfucking Holly. And I think if you know anything about him, you know just uh how you know bad, the basic story. You, you know how badass his story is going to be, no matter what. So uh you know so strap in and uh, get your dude. Check out this song. Uh, I don't know onesie out or whatever. We'll get some merch later, but you should—you can just write on your own clothing for now. I don't mind. <laughs> we'll send you a blank T-shirt if you send us five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> or just go, go get a pen. I don't know, man. Deal with it.
1: Well, I'd like to start off this episode with a quote. Even though Buddy Holly never had a number one single in America, his legacy is immeasurable. Damn fucking true, too, man. Buddy Holly was born charles harden holly spelled (laughs) h-o-l-l-e-y on september 7th 1936 in lubbock texas as the fourth and youngest child in his family
0: well i think he made a really good idea changing his name to what he did
1: well actually he originally had it spelled with an e but it was a mistake on the part of a record company talent scout and that's why it ended up getting changed to h-o-l-l-y
0: Oh yeah, just because so one person wrote it down wrong once, yep, and all of a and sudden, and that was
1: his name. That was a stage name forever. Yeah, that's that kind of sucks, but you know, whatever. I mean, at the same time, you know, everybody still figured out it was Holly. So yeah, no exactly. harm, no foul. Yeah, no
0: harm, no foul. It's He's, one less letter to write down, I guess. At least
1: they didn't put like a P in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's uh, Halpy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Introducing
0: Blubly Yeah. Blubbly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And actually, his nickname, Buddy, was given to him by his mother, who felt that his given name was too big for her little boy. Aw, little Buddy. Little Buddy Holly. And honestly, like, I can't find anything bad about this guy. Like, he seems to be a
0: genuinely sweet human being.
1: Yeah, like, he was a good student who, you know, really had a lot of charm. And he was declared the king of sixth grade by his classmates. <laughs> king, of sixth grade. King, king of sixth grade. Ah, This
0: kid's the king of sixth grade, man. <laughs> you don't even know. That's fucking amazing.
1: You know, and he would learn to play the violin and the piano as a child. And his older brothers would teach him the basics of guitar. And contrary to the depiction presented in the film of Holly's life, the Buddy Holly Story, Holly's parents always supported him in his musical ventures.
0: Oh yeah, in the in the the Hollywood remake, they made it look like Yeah, they didn't, it looked like
1: they didn't support it. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> Just
1: playing that rock and roll. I can't believe uh, Holly's down there with the rock and roll again. No, they were super supportive. His dad was a tailor by trade. And, you know, they would just support him in everything he did. Like, they would help him come up with song ideas. They'd even write a letter to the editor of Lubbock's newspaper in defense of rock and roll-loving teenagers you know, referring to an article of the uh, rock of them getting l- lambasted in a conservative editorial. Oh shit! So I, I, you know it's Texas, so you know the goddamn rock and roll kids. That's probably the whole article right there. Too. Yeah,
0: but it's like so PG. Like all of the music they make is like, "Let's go hold hands, and then when we're twenty one, you can kiss me on the cheek." <laughs> <And it's> like... <laughs> he really did write some
1: very wholesome music.
0: Like who you, who you mad at, dude? Dude, it's fucking Buddy Holly. He looks like he should be fixing, I don't know, your computer or something. I don't know. He's not threatening. Why are you guys... Why are you <laughs> He guys... really is
1: the nerdiest looking rock and roll star of all time. I just want to give this dude a hug. Like,
0: Buddy Holly seems like a genuinely sweet looking dude. And you see these, like, live photos of him. And you see, like, actually how lanky lanky, and awkward he oh, is. Oh, yeah. Like, because they put him in these big fluffy sweaters, clearly because... Well, they weren't
1: sweaters. They were suits. Yeah,
0: well, okay. The, in in a few of the images. Oh, the yeah, sweaters. you mean those little like sweater yeah. vest yeah, things? Exactly. Yeah, because it, it clearly like bulks his torso out. But you see him extended out, and I'm like, oh man, he's got my body shape. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and I mean, I think it's just like a bunch of old dudes going, "Oh, the music's changing. I don't like it." Yeah, this you know, this I've, isn't country. I've been guilty of saying that. That's not real music. They should have. And then I had to catch myself and go. Oh, shit! fuck, that's yeah. what
0: my parents said. Yeah, oh, fuck, I need to not be a dickbag and I need to be open to
1: music. And suddenly you're a better person instantly. Poof. And Holly's skill, you know, would be presented pretty early on in a 1949 home recording of a cover of the song, My Two-Time and Woman. Is this the one you sent me? This is
0: the one I sent you. Yeah, this is so fucking good. And it honestly, like, it brings back those vibes of, like, you and I doing our first recordings way back in the day. Like, yeah. With your Guatemalan guitar and your broken neck, like, <laughs> shitty recordings. Like, uh, it's, it It has the air of real, true, like, first inspiration days. And it's fucking amazing.
1: The thing that was crazy for me was I was listening to it, and I go, oh, okay, okay, and then he breaks into a guitar solo, and it's like, you know, there's no other music accompanying. It's just so, a him solo, and it's just like, oh he's looking to see where the song can go from there you know like he actually recorded a solo you know before like there was even a band there so obviously that kind of style was present within him
0: yeah the solo at the end is fucking cool it really is like listening to that i was like wow like it's so changed like out of nowhere and the recording gets all fucked up because like the tone changes yeah it's it's... It's
1: still cool though to see where he came from like Mm, honestly i love it yeah honestly like it's not really on my due check out this song, but if you get really into Buddy Holly, you should probably check it out to kind of see where he started. Yeah, it's worth it, especially if you can deal with lo-fi stuff. A lot of people can't because a lot of people
0: are, you know, more modernized culture musically wise. But if you if your ears can deal with lo-fi, check that that track out. You'll enjoy it.
1: Yeah, it actually starts off with some pretty annoying tones at the beginning, too. So, yeah, like I said, if you're if
0: you're experienced with that, check it out. If not, whatever.
1: Me and Pat are pretty well versed in the (laughs) lo-fi, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Our first albums, in in
1: plural. The ones that'll never exist. The ones that'll never appear anywhere. Yep. That have vanished to history.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're literally gone, because I don't think I have those hard drives at all anymore, so...
1: Yeah, I remember you telling me that years ago, and that was kind of sad. So on to Buddy Holly, though. By the age of 13... Him and his friend Bob Montgomery would start playing local clubs, specializing in music, what they called Western Bop. Western Bop? Yeah.
0: So that's like a, like, kind of like swing
1: rock kind of? I have no fucking idea, honestly. I looked it up. There's, like, no definition (laughs) of it. I think it's just a term they came up with.
0: Yeah, it it must be kind of what they were playing, like the early rock and roll, slightly Western influence, but super poppy.
1: It was super country, like honestly especially with like our last episode with janice martin you know she was really influenced by country in her early life so was buddy holly buddy holly really wanted to play country yeah and you can tell that with the my two-time and horse song that we that i just mentioned you know i mean that's a country song yeah and and i think i said my two-time and whore i meant to say woman
0: (laughs) (laughs) he definitely said my two-time and (laughs) whore but but either way like it, it really does uh play into the fact that we don't really give enough credit to really what uh country music did for the origination of rock and roll like we we give we talk about rockabilly a lot but and well we talk about
1: rhythm and blues a lot in terms of influencing rock and roll too which it really did
0: yeah but standard country gave a lot of what you guys would consider like rock and roll like formulaic like how you put together the music like yeah. like the structures of notes the structures of keys and things like that a lot of those really stem back to classic country
1: well and if you look at a lot of these early rock and roll rockabilly artists a lot of them originally started out playing like country or singing gospel you know so you know it kind of gave them a basis and then rhythm and blues came out and it goes
0: i won't do that yeah <laughs> i'm here i don't want to play with this anymore but inevitably it ends up being an acclamation of all of them which is really the the thing that we're that we are exploring just kind of between me and Ian and what our focus is with this whole show is just we're going to keep diving into that that unique blend of things that came out with this brand new music style like that would now like cuz you really think about it rock and roll when it blew up suddenly took over the whole world within like weeks yeah within whatever the time period is it took over the world so quickly and ever since it's been like the new standard like you think about rock and roll now in the 2020s and if you're a young kid and you think about rock and roll that's like to you it is just like the most generic style of music you know what i mean like calling a band rock and roll now means we don't really have a style which is a weird thing to think about for what rock and roll really is compared well, to older styles. Nowadays,
1: to have a style, you can't just be rock. You've got to be like some sort of subgenre of yeah, rock. I'm ultra,
0: know? I'm ultra death black metal with like you know with Cuban uh, with Cuban the, drum beats, <laughs> yeah, Cuban, <laughs> Cuban drums, and uh, yeah, we also throw in some uh, so, some Swedish yodeling. You know, it's whatever.
1: You might not be into it, I don't think yeah. you're I don't think you're into stuff like I don't, I don't that think, cutting edge
0: man. I don't think you would even understand if I'm being honest.
1: <laughs> I really don't think a guy who was into black metal would sound like that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible
0: impersonation, but he would be like this is
1: like the evilest music you've ever heard dude. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> well, and so anyway, getting back to uh Buddy Holly playing with his friend Bob Montgomery Bob, Bobby Gunn bob montgomery <laughs> I know, oh okay like, i was just I, I thought that was a cool name bobby Gunn. that's a cool name yeah they would also perform like at the time what would be considered mainstream country tunes and they would perform as a duo called buddy and bob buddy and bob what a terrible fucking name for a band <laughs> That sounds like they were on the road to being, like, the first Loggins in Messina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more to see if, if,
0: if I hear a band called Buddy and Bob, I think they're going to play at the State Fair, and I'm going to eat, like, a, I don't know, like, a what was it, elephant ears where, like, cinnamon toast things, I don't know. Buddy and Bob.
1: I like to think they were the first Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> Buddy and Bob. <laughs> now, of course around this time as we've mentioned countless times rhythm and blues would be played on the radio and it would have a tremendous impact on buddy holly like it did with everybody his age at that time
0: so this is such a cool and weird anomaly like so many people from so many different genres i'd say probably about like eight or nine source genres because we have like we have the, the upbeat versions of, of jazz and the downbeat versions of jazz. And then we have, like, the country origins and all these different origins. All were, like, primed and ready for something. And then R&B, like, started playing some stuff on the radio. And all and these people were like, hey, that's really cool. So we're going to do what R&B is doing but with what we already know. And suddenly all of those people did that all at once. And then a month and a half later, there was an acclamation that just is rock and roll yeah because they heard what they the other guys were doing We're like oh i could add that into there and this and this and this and that and blah 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 and take that from that guy and yeah it was
1: it was really like an extreme time of discovery of music you know along with that comes like better technology you know like with the technology combined with all these different influences you know it really was a time of discovery yeah and, and we've already kind of discovered like
0: the or talked about like the different Genres that were even emerging before that too, like just bebop and all of those, you know, the the heavy piano jazzes and things like those. Those laid up so much of the rhythmic base for what we were going to call rock and roll, right? But really, would take no, like jazz. I think takes the least amount of ownership over rock and roll. Compared, well, especially nowadays, yeah. Compared to the rest of the genres, you know what I mean. Like, I think. I think our country really did keep and adapt the rock and roll stuff to it retroactively. Like country became more rock and roll, right? Where I don't think jazz became more rock and roll retroactively. I think jazz... no, remained, they
1: they totally wanted to separate themselves from that. Yeah, I mean, if you if Even you kind of think had about, about a whole it, bunch though, inspiration like inspiration there, which is weird. Well, I mean, think about. Like, because jazz guys were always trying to break down music into a more advanced, more sophisticated form. Well, rock and roll really found like the basic song structure that is extremely catchy. Yeah, simplification in the proper way, which is, you know, that
0: it's the, the modus of any good invention. It's, it has to be simple enough to be effective that it works, but also be complex and new enough to be unique and desired. So you kind of have that perfect storm with rock and roll where not only can 70, 80% of the bands in the market play this music, on top of that, it's also super catchy and great and has a good formula. And then, you know, the wildfire of teens picking up rock and roll. and
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and speaking of that, you know, like let's go back to just rhythm and blues where rhythm and blues was a African-American dominated music like no white guys did that until well right until elvis but that music was able to like transcend the racial divides that were going on in the country and actually like get out to all these white teenagers who go on to be like buddy holly and jerry lee lewis and elvis presley and stuff like that you know like and that
0: would be the generation who would eventually reduce a lot of the racism in the country too so exactly like it's likely that these commonized uh I don't know interest have play a lot into that like it is it is really honest
1: like the more i look at it the more i feel like music has a lot to do with the acceptance of the two cultures getting together you know
0: yeah, yeah exactly and i i don't know sharing a common music between two cultures is more likely to make those two cultures like unified or you know blended or whatever you may want to call it i'm not really like a like a sociology guy or anything like that but the, the shared music between any two groups is always something that will just bring people together in general.
1: Well, and so getting back to the rhythm and blues influence on Buddy Holly, like some of his favorite songs were Work With Me Annie by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley.
0: By Bo Diddley, yes, <laughs> by, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley. <laughs> At Bo Diddley from Bo Diddley.
1: When I saw this, i was like what the hell is this and then i played the song i'm like oh i've heard this a million times yeah
0: well because buddy holly's version of Bo Diddley is very very good
1: oh yeah and actually there's a great story about him doing his version of that song later on too oh shit i'm ready and then the other song was love is strange by mickey and sylvia and all these songs like buddy holly would like Kind of use, like, guitar riff inspirations and rhythmic ideas from all three of these songs, really. That's the reason why I played all these songs for you tonight. Because if you listen to those songs and go back and listen to a lot of the stuff he wrote, there's a ton of inspiration from these three songs.
0: Yeah, no, it it really does show. Like, those those songs themselves kind of all, you know, form together with, like, Voltron to be, like, Buddy Holly's core style.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, it really does. And so this brings me to my first. Do check out this song oh, in the song of the episode. On
0: me. Lay it on me, Papa.
1: It's all three of those songs. Work With Me, Annie by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. Bo Diddley. By Bo Diddley. Oh, man, you're catching on. Shit, I'm, I'm so good <laughs> at this. <laughs> Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia. And if you guys don't know the song, you actually do know this yeah, song. You do.
0: If you look it up on YouTube, you'll know why you know it.
1: Yeah, it's from the movie Dirty Dancing. <laughs> oh, lover <leather> boy. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the second time you've done that impression tonight. I think you just really enjoy doing it. <laughs> I have guilty pleasure whatever. <laughs> I think you're going to go home and watch Dirty Dancing tonight. And in 1955, after hearing Elvis Presley, Holly was on full-time rock and roll mode
0: oh hell yeah you hear elvis presley you're done like if you play guitar already, especially in that era yeah you play guitar already in that era and you hear elvis presley for the first time and you know we once again i think we talked about it last week where uh you know elvis presley only being filmed from the waist up and all that shit like that's that's enough for you to be like dude he's such a badass like they can't. Oh yeah, they can't just, even film his legs. He's so cool. Can you
1: imagine how much your mind would explode by seeing him? I know we've talked shit about Elvis Presley, but he really did like help start a cultural revolution with this music. Honestly, yeah, he, he really
0: is like the wave cutter. He's the very front of the ship that is rock and roll, and it, and he he cut through the waves and made it work because he was transcendently uh, popular. He was able to be popular not with just with young people, but also with critics and older people. The, the trifecta of interest that almost no, like, real pop star has ever been able to really get into. You know what I mean? Like, we have probably are, I would say there's five or six people who have ever truly done it. But if you can fit not only two generations into your interest group, but, but then also have, you know, the support of corporations and things like that, like... There's no way you you don't become an ultra mega gold, superstar or, 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 a gajillion star,
1: a.k.a. the king of rock and roll. Yeah, the king of <laughs> motherfucking rock and roll, bro. And so, of course, after hearing Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly went out and bought a Fender Stratocaster <laughs> and started developing a style of play featuring, you know, ringing out major chords that would basically become his trademark. i love that he saw elvis
0: presley he's like fucking i need a fender bro
1: (laughs) elvis did that to a lot of people yeah
0: no i I, it's so classic and i love it i honestly do we do give elvis a motherfucking hard time on this podcast but he he's he deserves in this one like angle of history to that bit of like deserved honor you weird bastard <laughs> <laughs> you had to get a dig in didn't you
1: <laughs> and so after high school you know holly would have a fully formed band and they would still kind of be playing country but you know they were heading the rock and roll way yeah they, they even those who
0: like held on to their last little strands of whatever their previous inspirations were actually just made it all the more powerful. You know what I mean? Because then they really took their old inspirations into rock and roll with them.
1: Yeah, and to quote one of his early band members, he would say, when Elvis came along, Buddy fell in love with Elvis, and we began to change. The next day, we became Elvis clones.
0: (laughs) I bet. Could you imagine how many times they were probably like, oh,
1: yeah. But let's be honest, though. Buddy Holly would never have the sex appeal that Elvis would (laughs) with his bow tie and his uh, thick black glasses. And his
0: lank. We already talked. He's a lanky bastard.
1: He he somehow turned nerd into cool. I don't know how he did it, but He, he 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 was the original
0: cool nerd. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, no matter how much shit nerds would catch, they'd always have
1: Buddy Holly. And so by the mid to late 1955, Buddy and Bob... Had already started working with upright bass player Larry Wellborn. You know, added a drummer. And they decided to cut some sides that would qualify as rock and roll. Nothing notable. I couldn't even find any of these songs. So if they're out there, you know. Yeah, they're
0: they're extremely rare. And
1: And Bob Montgomery leaned more towards traditional country anyway. So he decided to leave the band.
0: No, so it's Buddy and Buddy.
1: (laughs) For right now, yes. But Montgomery would stick around with Buddy Holly through, you know, a lot of his recordings and actually help him write a lot of songs.
0: Oh, that's, that's cool, though. Yeah. He so just, it shows a lot of kinship
1: there. Yeah, he just didn't want to play rock and roll. Makes Buddy Holly was like, sorry, dude, I'm into this now. And he's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm just going to go be world famous real quick. And so one time, Holly and his band would serve as the opening act for... A little-known rock group, Bill Haley and the Comets, or maybe they were a big,
0: well-known rock group. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know if you, any of you guys would know that unless you watched the mother or listen to
1: the motherfucking episode. <laughs> I mean, nah. we've mentioned them like every other time this season at least, Yeah,
0: even though we did a full episode on them. They, there's also, oh,
1: we didn't do an episode on them. We Didn't do Bill Haley and the Comets? No, I think Pat is showing signs of early onset autism. Yeah. Are you sure that's what I'm showing? No, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> but whatever it is, I'm showing those signs, too. <laughs>
0: I think maybe we just considered it, and we just never did an episode. I apologize, Jesus, Ian. This is
1: like 30-something episodes now. I don't know. I can't, I can't keep them all in order. Well, there was actually a talent scout at that show, and Decker Records would sign Buddy Holly. Oh, shit. And so in 1956, he went in to record and made a bunch of songs for them that sold poorly and had uneven quality. But some of the songs he would record would be Blue Days, Black Nights, Rock Around with Ollie v, and Midnight Shift. Oh, shit. Yeah. Which Midnight these Shift songs, is great. All of these songs on there are actually super solid recordings and are amazing songs. Midnight Shift in particular, I, I really care for that personally. Oh, dude, that was the song that made me fall in love with Buddy Holly originally. And so that brings me to my next, dude, check out the song. Yeah, it
0: better be Midnight
1: Shift. No, I don't have that on here. Oh, okay. Well, let me go through my list and see. We'll wait. So I got Blue Days, Black Nights, Rock Around with Ollie V. Oh, and I do have Midnight Shift. Yeah, that's right. I put it on the list. I wouldn't forget it. You fucking son of a bitch. Oh, man. Well, you think I wouldn't that put... That was th- the worst fake-out that anybody <laughs> in the history of fake-outs has ever attempted a fake-out, Ian.
0: Check uh, out the song, people. They're good
1: songs. <laughs> Do that. And so, of course, with the lack of success with these recordings, Decca would advise Buddy Holly to go back to Lubbock, Texas and refine his material. Aw. Which he would. Oh, he so did. And he formed a band called The Crickets with his friends Jerry Allison, who played drums, Joby Malden, who was the bass player, and Nick Sullivan, who was the rhythm guitar player. Oh, the Crickets
0: are awesome. Like, you don't even need Buddy Holly for the Crickets to be awesome. And then you add Buddy Holly to it, and they're just rocking.
1: They actually had some kick-ass songs of their own, you know, later on. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I Fought the Law, anybody? Yeah, that's a (laughs) Crickets tune. Yep. Sorry, had to get that one in. (laughs) (laughs) I fought the law. And so the band would travel to Clovis, New Mexico, to record in the studios of Norman Petty, who would basically produce, like, the majority of their music. At least, you know, their well-known stuff.
0: Yeah, he would be their producer, essentially.
1: Yeah, he would eventually be their manager, too, but we'll get to that. So the team is fully formed. Yeah,
0: so now we have Buddy Hauling the Cricket. So we're gonna start getting into like this is the this is when it starts going, right? The
1: Avengers are together. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they have assembled. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy hauling the
0: Avengers. That's a much better band name.
1: Well, honestly, they threw away what was considered the recording rule book at the time and basically experimented with these recordings. Unlike most independent rock and roll producers at the time, Petty actually didn't own cheap equipment like he wanted a high quality, classy, expensive sound, you know?
0: Yeah. So he made sure to get all the, the top gear, which honestly, like if you're if you're really trying to be a professional and sound professional, that's a good start getting good gear is it makes a pretty reasonable difference
1: nowadays good gear is a little bit more affordable but back then there was definitely you know a little bit more of a price tag on everything well
0: and an operating curve because it not only was it expensive to obtain it was expensive to operate and maintain
1: yep and they would actually start experimenting in the studio their recordings would feature unusual microphone placements different echo chamber effects that have never been used, and overdubbing, a process that in the 1950s meant superimposing one recording on another.
0: Jeez. So they were doing some, like, hardcore manual Yeah, like, this is
1: where overdubbing came from. They would, you know, record songs such as, like, Not Fade Away, Peggy Sue, Listen to Me, Every Day. You know, all out of this one little studio using all these songs as, like, kind of test subjects as to what they could do. They were the first rock and rollers to approach recording in this way. Yeah, like,
0: and track by the way, nowadays is the only thing you do.
1: Yeah. No real
0: rock and roll that you hear on radio or on any, like, digital service, unless it's, like, some fringe shit is done any other way but this. multilayer recording is just simply the fucking way to do it now.
1: Well, and think about this, like the techniques they used would go on to influence the way recordings were done in the 60s and 70s. Like, and still today and still today, although it's a little easier now with technology, you could literally like make the same sounds with, you know, a couple push of the buttons in your room. But, you know, at the time, these were so inventive. Yeah, I know.
0: Exactly. And it really did like influence the way that we eventually perceive the process they they were defining it then
1: and so let's get to our next dude check out this song oh pretty please we got not fade away peggy sue listen to me
0: and every day all fucking amazing
1: songs yeah and even listen to me and every day they're like softer songs but you know it's still they're still like kick-ass fucking tunes
0: yeah i holly's like honestly softer on average but if you really get into him you don't even start to notice you start to really feel the rock and roll in, in, in almost
1: every track so
0: that's one of the things that keeps me going
1: and petty would even produce a livelier version of a song called that'll be the day which was recorded for deca earlier but you know it was pretty stale from the way i read it but it's an amazing track now it is now <laughs> he recorded the song that made Buddy Holly famous. that at be least the day version day that made that him I famous. Die. Yep, from that intro to the rest of the song, it's just it's just awesome all the way through. Honestly,
0: yeah, they're they're so fucking good. Like it between honestly, that'll that'll be the day and Midnight Shift. We already talked about the that song, but those two songs really, really, really got me into to Buddy Holly. And I don't know, check them out. If you're not going to check anything else out, check them out, bro.
1: Well, and because of that will be the day, like this re-recording of it, it actually made Decca pay attention to Buddy Holly again. They would end up signing Buddy Holly and the Crickets to Decca's subsidiary label, Brunswick, while any of the recordings that were labeled as Buddy Holly just as a, like a solo billing would be on the choral label. So there was actually like a separation in these recordings that they were doing of Buddy Holly and the Crickets and Buddy Holly by himself, which would actually explain why there's some big sound difference in, you know, a lot of the stuff they would record, you know, because there was actually Buddy Holly and the Crickets, the rock and roll band. Yeah, that was and the Buddy Holly, upbeat, like
0: the, the rock and rollish bit. Yeah. But, rock, but Buddy Holly by himself is that you actually notice is just like the, the guitar and his voice and. You know, him being extra Buddy (laughs) Holly-ish.
1: I can't go on any further without doing this, dude. Check out this song. If you have not listened to That'll Be The Day, you have to listen to this song.
0: That'll be the day that I I die. die. But it's great. It it is really a fantastic fucking jam.
1: And we probably shouldn't go any further without talking about his vocal style. What do you say? Yeah, I
0: mean, it makes sense uh, because
1: he's singing... His singing voice was likened to that of a person with hiccups. (laughs) That's fucking amazing. I mean, think about it. He's got all the (laughs) things that he does. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's actually a very good point. He does kind of sound like he's got hiccups.
1: Yeah, and he would use weird stops, and he'd stretch out syllables that, you know, weren't normally, like, stretched out, you know? But it makes sense with his inspiration from Elvis
0: coming so specifically, because Elvis did a lot of that, like, vocalization that was, like, I don't know, nonsensical vocalization just for musicality. And I think, though, he, he didn't directly copy what Elvis did. I think that style that he developed comes from like an independent thing I,
1: th- I think there's also heavy country style in that though too like think of like all the yodeling and uh-huh stuff yeah, they that, would do that's you actually
0: know? a good point yeah a lot of the the uh like bluegrass stuff has a lot of that kind of vocalization as well i don't know that that's one of the things that we is really makes rock and roll beautiful it comes from probably 10 fucking places he just thought it sounded good and put in his music
1: yeah, and there would even be people that would say that when Buddy Holly would practice singing ballads, it had a feeling of nervous excitement. Ooh, which I thought was a good way to describe some of his songs too. Yeah,
0: it, it does make a lot of sense actually because he he kind of does have that like, oh ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, oh. ho. I don't know. I can't I can't mimic it. That,
1: perfect. That sounds that is like so perfect. That sounded like a monkey or something.
0: I don't know. Bro. <laughs> I
1: don't know what you're doing there. <laughs> and of course as part of the early rock movement that buddy holly and the crickets were a part of the field at the time was still dominated by black artists and buddy holly and the crickets were sometimes mistakenly thought to be a black group (laughs) (laughs) one time they were booked with black singers and musicians to play at the apollo theater which we have talked about before which is primarily a black audience right yeah and i guess the audience was just shocked to see them up there playing and buddy holly and the crickets went up there and performed anyway and to quote chet Filippo, who was playing with the crickets at the time the first two days we played the apollo we were booed the third day buddy holly said let's do bo Diddley," and from that moment on we were a hit (laughs) i mean you even mentioned bo Diddley earlier you know about how good his cover is of it and yeah, yeah, exactly. And you
0: you just can't you can't go wrong with that. His cover's great of it and are great and Bo Diddley is great and so I guess if you find the right common interest, you can you can get in with any crowd.
1: And that's the beauty of music is at some point there's a common interest somewhere. Yeah, exactly. You
0: can find a common interest no matter what as long as both people are willing to look.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I'm not the biggest rap fan in the world, but I can have a conversation about Tupac with people, you know?
0: Yeah, shit, our interview with Mad Trum was one of my favorite fucking days of my whole life, so. <laughs> <laughs> Which we still are working on, by the way, guys. I know the, the COVID really screwed up our uh, interview series, so we won't, yeah, we won't we'll, be doing we'll that. Yeah, we'll get back
1: like, on that at some point.
0: Yeah, but was, we haven't forgotten by any means, and w- we really do think that that's going to be a lot of fun, but we want to make sure that, you know, everybody's safety is taken care of in, into consideration, so.
1: Well, and with That'll Be the Day becoming a hit, you know, Buddy Holly would make it over to Great Britain. Oh, nice. Yeah, and he was well-received, you know. In fact, he was so well-received that the Beatles named themselves the Beatles after the Crickets because the Beatles is a bug. Oh, fuck, for
0: real? Yeah, for real. Oh, that's fucking cool. I never knew that.
1: I actually never heard
0: that before at all. That is really awesome.
1: See, there's several things I knew about Buddy Holly in this that I never knew were true until I did this research, and that's that was one of the things.
0: That is, that is really, really cool. I mean, you know, we always find a way to uh, make that connection between the Beatles and uh, Bob Dylan, but I was never going to expect the connection to be Buddy Holly in the Beatles as well because that's something that, really stood apart in my mind
1: yeah actually buddy holly was extraordinarily influential on the beatles like i remember reading god i must have been like a teenager at the time on an interview with john lennon and john lennon mentioned seeing buddy holly and immediately wanting to play rock and roll hell yeah and
0: that's a good inspiration to take man it's one thing you you could say what you want about the beatles they had great inspirations the things the music they liked is just the best music that's ever existed
1: Some people would say the music they played was the best music that ever existed. Some people being your parents? Among them, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And in the summer of 1958, Buddy Holly was at the offices of Pierce Southern in his New York City music publishers, where he met Maria Alina Santiago, who was a receptionist there. Ooh, I like that name. Two weeks later, they were married. Number one. Number one. And they would go on a honeymoon to Acapulco. I'm not sure for how long, but Acapulco, that's that's a nice 1950s vacation spot. Yeah, exactly. And after their honeymoon, they'd go back to Lubbock, Texas. And it was at this time Buddy Holly decided to part ways with their producer, manager, Petty. Oh, shit. Feeling that he and the Crickets could be their own producers and be better at it. The Crickets disagreed, however, and it resulted in Buddy Holly splitting with the Crickets as well. Oh. Now, it would also be claimed that Petty wasn't always beneficial for the band. Like how? Well, I don't want this to come off as religion hating, but it is said that he advised the group to carry a Bible and read it, But he also was reported to have collected royalty checks and kept a lot of the money. Uh, So he's partially, like, partially not trustable, but
0: also just weird and detrimental socially as well.
1: Yeah, at least, you know, in Buddy Holly's eyes. And I think the crickets, you know, like, trying to do a revisionist history, maybe trying to defend them. They were thinking, well, we're getting hits with this guy, so we might as well write it. You yeah, know? no, exactly. And that makes a lot of sense. They do that a lot. so. And so Buddy Holly and his wife Maria would move to Greenwich Village in New York City. They found an apartment in the recently built Breadvort, which I guess used to be a famous hotel at the time. Yeah. And it was on 11 Fifth Avenue, Apartment 4-H. Oh, shit.
0: Greenwich Village actually has a lot of uh, a lot of musical heritage. We've made a bunch of jokes about uh, Dave Van Ronk and uh, and Bob Dylan stealing songs from him. That all happened <laughs> in Greenwich Village. Like oh that, yeah, that was where all that shit went down. So
1: well, and here's the thing: this is actually around the time when that scene first started burgeoning, the whole Gr- Greenwich Village folk scene. Yeah. So it, Buddy Holly
0: once again has another connection there. Yeah, that's fucking cool.
1: Well, and so part of the reason for them moving to Greenwich Village is it had the environment they were seeking. You know, they encouraged creativities and weren't big on what was, like, you know, middle-class morals at the time, I guess you could call it. You know, particularly the attitude that would frown upon, like, cross-ethnic marriages, like Uh, Buddy Holly had. Yep. And Maria would be interviewed in 1993 And this is how I would get the description of what their time together in Greenwich Village was like. You know, they were basically night owls. They would take to roaming the new Bohemian streets, you know, frequenting coffee houses and listening to poetry readings and folk singers. Buddy Holly was a big fan of jazz. And, you know, clubs like the Five Spot, the Half Note, the Village Gate, and the Village Vanguard apparently were some of his favorite places to go. Oh, yeah. Well, those, those places are
0: legendarily good places to go listen to, like early uh, like Greenwich Village like music.
1: Apparently, many mornings, Buddy Holly would take Maria and his Gibson guitar to the fountain at Washington Square. He'd wear dark sunglasses so he wouldn't be recognized, and he'd play with young musicians and give them pointers.
0: Oh, that's fucking cool. And, like, dark sunglasses are not going to... Like, dude, you already wear glasses with your normal guy, like, persona... You can't black him out and me be like,
1: oh, I don't think you're Buddy Holly. <laughs> Worked for Superman. <laughs> well, and even his apartment, you know, would serve as like a stopover for fellow musicians like Phil Everly and Waylon Jennings. Oh, shit. I mean, Waylon Jennings is, is very popular, but I've also
0: heard of the other gentleman once or twice, too. So. The Everly brothers? Yeah, exactly. The Everly
1: brothers are kind of a, a thing. Well, and I don't know if you knew this, but there's kind of some history with Buddy Holly and Waylon Jennings. I was not aware of this. Well, let me continue the story and we'll get to it. I'm fucking waiting. You got no choice. So in October 1958, Buddy Holly would go into the recording studio. This time he would have an orchestra with him for these sessions. And they came out with two songs. It Doesn't Matter Anymore and True Love Ways. Now, many fans kind of took this as a signal that Buddy Holly was turning away from rock and roll and trying to embrace more like a mainstream pop sound, right? I mean, which would make sense because when I was looking into him as a kid, I thought the same thing too.
0: Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And Anytime you get that sort of like distinct uh, sound change, it, it oftentimes does appear one way like that.
1: So I think he was trying to look for a new sound to begin with. Yeah, I mean, uh, all musicians do that at some point, especially
0: if you become famous, like, at a young age. You get to a certain point, and you're like, I want something that's not the thing I've already been fucking doing forever.
1: Well, right. And, you know, he split with the crickets, and they decided to, you know, go with his old producer and stuff. And so maybe it was kind of a... I've got different music in my soul now. Like, that that whole thing probably, like, put a stain in his musical soul where it was just like, okay, now I need I need to distinguish myself from this band.
0: Well, yeah, especially, like, you, I, I know that that's something that can happen is if you have a distinct interest and you do that with a specific group of people and then something bad happens, you get that negative taste in your mouth about whatever the situation was, and then that can also rub off on whatever you guys were doing together, too, so whatever art that your group may have been doing in this case it would be music you can almost you know poison yourself against that
1: yeah exactly and these recordings would become to be known as Buddy Holly's last songs but they weren't in December 1958 and January 1959 Buddy Holly wrote and recorded on his Ampex home tape recorder in the apartment a series of songs that would include That Makes It Tough, The Learning Game, Crying, Waiting, Hoping, and Peggy Sue Got Married. And there would be like 14 songs total on this tape that he recorded. You and, know,
0: And these would be his actual last recordings, these ones yes. in the apartment.
1: Yes. Well, and here's the thing. Some of these would be like alternate takes and, you know, him trying out different stuff. So I think he was really searching for a new sound, you know, looking for a more emotional sound. And especially him getting in with this early Greenwich Village scene. Like, you know, maybe he was starting to be taken over by that. Because I played you some of these songs, you know, they were acoustic. And honestly, like, if you listen to his voice,
0: he's got a lot more bass in his voice. He sounds more adult. He sounds like he's looking for something more adult. He almost... There's a few, like, experimental voice. uh Like, he does vocalizations in a few of them to where he's clearly, like, exploring what he can do. And, you know, you get that heavy Elvis, but you also get, like, a little bit of something else in there, and it's hard to identify.
1: Well, and you also can really identify his range. Oh, yeah, like,
0: a range that you never got to see before. A fucking amazing
1: range. Yeah, like, I feel like it was covered up by a lot of you know the rock and roll in and of itself you know and you actually kind of especially with these songs you really discover oh the dude is a legitimate singer
0: yeah no absolutely and if it like i don't know it's it's so hard because you know the end of the story is so commonly known that i mean it's it obviously we weren't going to hide it from the beginning like we're not going to say it outright just cuz if any one out of a 1000 people doesn't know what happens we don't want to ruin it but Everybody kind of knows what happens in this this last little moment where he records his last recordings in the uh, in like an apartment and it's kind of this relic that he leaves behind. like that's so special and interesting and like good goddamn folklore. Like good goddamn folklore.
1: Well, and you know what's crazy? is after his death, these tapes would be given to two producers, Jack Henson and Norman Petty. Oh, uh, yeah. And these producers would use recordings. They'd overdub them with a full band, so the songs would be more radio-friendly. And so every song I mentioned would get released as a new Buddy Holly recording when really they that, were that was... they were overdubs because the original recordings were just him and an acoustic guitar damn and that's why i made a point to play you both versions when we were doing, when we were prepping for the show oh so those two versions that we were listening to consecutively were the
0: same recording Yeah, so over-dubbed.
1: if you if you listen to those back and it took me a couple times to listen to it those the vocals that are on there are actually the vocals from that the are from the song and the guitar that's been laid in the back that's the guitar strumming from these songs
0: that's fucking cool that really is cool
1: yeah and they would be released like somewhere in the mid 60s you know as like unheard buddy holly songs or whatever the fuck
0: you know if- yeah whatever they were trying to you know brand it as but that's still really fucking amazing
1: and honestly i like them both because there's two different songs you know it they're really they really like sound like completely different and one is like a fine production yeah and the other is like what buddy holly dreamed to do yeah and and there's there's a raw nature to
0: those recordings that really make them very 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 special like yeah especially especially for, for you yeah my personal taste especially like i like a lot of those those you know I, I like single layer recordings taken, you know, in the right the right context, with the right history. Those sort of things really do like scream to me. And so those those apart or the the apartment tapes really were something that I was excited to find out existed.
1: And I was actually like really excited to bring this to you because I've known about these for a long time, but I didn't know if the whole story of him getting into the early Grinch scene was true and I just feel so vindicated from this because it's like all the all the stuff that I learned early on about Buddy Holly were actually true. Yeah, the, the cool pot, like because nothing's worse than hearing like cool things that
0: you're like, oh, I love the, this thing about this artist that I know. And then you find out that it's not true or whatever. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. But get, getting getting the realization that it's true and that some really ridiculous thing actually turns out to be true. Like that's a that's a good damn feeling.
1: Well, and the other thing I kind of wanted to bring up was how haunting would that be to work on those tracks? Yeah, that would be weird. I don't know, posthumous work of
0: other people's art is kind of weird for me.
1: Well, and especially since one of the guys working on them was Norman Petty, who, you know, was a huge part of Buddy Holly's life. Yeah, knew him. Even though it kind of ended poorly, he knew Buddy Holly. Yeah,
0: exactly. It doesn't matter how it ended, especially, like, after you pass away like that, like... I don't know, to work on somebody's work after they're they're gone like that, that's, I don't know, it's a little bit ghostly, you know what I mean?
1: Well, and let's kind of bring the mood up a little bit with a, a dude check out the song. What do you say? Yeah, might as well. I mean, we're going to have to crush their hearts in a second when we get to the actual <laughs> part when we're talking about what's sad right now. It doesn't matter anymore. That makes it tough. Learning the game, crying, waiting, hoping. In those last three, I'm going to include both versions
0: yeah, we'll we'll stick them at the end of the uh, the list so that you can listen to them back to back all. Yeah,
1: time. and and then you'll really hear that it's the same vocal tracks. It's yeah. it's I never actually knew that that they were overdubbed. I just knew he did these recordings, and I was pretty amazed to actually learn that they were overdubbed, especially with the technology in the '60s. That had to have been a pain in the ass. Yeah, it couldn't have been an easy manual overdubbing. And so, Buddy Holly, estranged from the Crickets. Supposedly, he was broke. I don't know if he was that broke, but he was also contemplating legal action against Petty. You know, this left him little choice but to go on a tour called the Winter Dance Party of 1959. Oh yeah, are we all excited about this? <laughs> you should be excited. It was a tour through the frozen Midwest, and this tour would have co-headliners Richie Valens, who had just had the hit. La Bamba. Oh, yes. And the Big Bopper. Ooh, those are some big names. Are we all excited? Oh, so excited. And so Buddy Holly would tour with a new band, and one of those musicians was future country star Waylon Jennings, who would play bass for him. Oh, yes. And to quote Waylon Jennings, one day Buddy Holly brought this guitar in and pitched it in my lap and said, you've got two weeks to learn to play it. <laughs> I never took the time to figure it out. I just memorized every song Buddy Holly ever recorded. I was terrible. I played too loud and broke the amplifier speakers. I was scared to death. In later years, I got where I could play a little bit, but at that time, I was over my head. He'd have been better off with a monkey back there instead of me. <laughs> well, you give somebody
0: two weeks to learn an instrument. You, you shouldn't be surprised that they don't learn it well.
1: You know what, though? Maybe he saw potential in him that Waylon Jennings didn't see in himself. Yeah, well, I mean, Waylon Jennings is a fucking awesome musician. So, yeah, he probably did. And here's the thing. From everything I've looked at, it really appears like Buddy Holly was good friends with Waylon Jennings. Like, he even financed, produced, and played on Waylon Jennings' first recording. A real super country song called Joel Blonde, which was a Texas-flavored version of Harry Choate's. And it's really good. It is. And, yes, he said Harry Choate's. I did. We, gigg- <laughs> we giggled about it, too. You guys I am surprised we uh, passed over that one li- without mentioning yeah. anything.
0: Well, no, because we got our giggles out earlier about Harry Choate's because we're adults around here, guys, clearly.
1: And off they go to the winter dance party of Yay. 59, right? Yeah. They got to go get, get there. They rode on buses from performance to performance, and the buses kept breaking down. Oh, yeah. And I should mention, it was cold as fuck. Yeah. Midwest, real bad. Winter, winter. 1959. Oh, it was so cold. real bad. And after a concert in Clear Lake, Iowa, Holly decided to charter a small four seater plane to reach the next town in time to rest and do laundry. Waylon Jennings decided to give up his seat to the big bopper who was ill, might have had the flu. And Holly's other backup man was persuaded by Valens to give up his seat for him. And I got a quote from Waylon Jennings about this. Big Bopper weighed about 300 pounds. He had trouble sitting on those bus seats, and he couldn't get any rest. He came to me and said, I have the flu. I am very sick and tired and haven't been able to sleep. Would you mind if I took your place on the plane?
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. That is just so crazy that multiple people, like, seek out the, like, seats on this plane yeah and like it's not just like that that plane was chartered for other people
1: and i got one last Wayland jennings comment from you and this is the one i've been waiting all episode to tell you oh please hit me with it this one confirmed everything i heard i remember the last time i saw buddy he had me go get us some hot dogs he was leaning back against the wall in a cane bottom chair and he was laughing at me he said You're not going with us tonight on the plane, huh? Well, I hope your old bus freezes up. It's 40 below out there, and you're going to get awful cold. So I said, well, I hope your old plane crashes. Oh, fuck.
0: Dude, that's got to be some heartbreaking shit.
1: Can you see why Waylon Jennings is so good at singing some sad songs? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's so
0: fucked up. Oh, my
1: God. Because if you guys don't know, on the morning of February 3rd, 1959, the plane took off from nearby Mason City, Iowa, and crashed eight miles out, killing the pilot and every passenger in the plane. Buddy Holly was 22. So
0: fucked up. And he's, like, so young and so much talent on that plane. Yeah. I mean there's a reason that we get we have like multiple songs that are like sad songs about that
1: day. The day the music died. That's that's what that that's what that song is about. Yeah. American Pie is about this.
0: Yeah, no, and it's it is truly, truly sad because that is just like heartbreaking on top of heartbreaking. Because not only obviously I really, really, really like Buddy Holly personally, but for, like, what he presented to America and American culture at the time and how he was, you know, he was getting to be to the point where he was comparable to something like an Elvis or, you know, an American icon, rock and roll icon like that. Like, with his death would really obviously propel his image forward, but I feel like ten more years and we would think of him on the exact same point, you know what I mean? Like, there would be no definition or difference, and... Just for something like that, like everybody seeks out the option to get on the plane, and then and then Waylon Jennings makes a joke about the plane yeah, crashing. Like, literally,
1: like this is how I think it pretty much went. Is Buddy Holly was like, "Hope you guys freeze your ass well, off tonight," and Waylon Jennings was like, "Whatever, dude. I hope your plane crashes." Yeah. Uh.
0: Well, I, and you know, we've all been like, "Okay, well, if you've ever been a like, I don't know, like in a." friendship like that like I, I must have told Ian I hope your car crashes at some point like there's probably things that we've said to each other like that and like if that thing happened and it was bad like you know I don't even know how I would be able to respond to something like that much less like oh I hope you plane playing crashes and then you Richie Valens and the big bopper are all dead like what the fuck like that's I don't know I'd, I'd sing some Waylon
1: Jennings sad songs too yeah exactly I don't know. I've always heard that rumor, and, you know, it was just like when yeah, I found a chance article, to confirm it. Yeah, it was just like happy and sad at the same time. Like, yes, I'm. Oh, I'm right. Yeah, I'm so glad that I confirmed that. <laughs> Yay. I laugh, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's sad, but at the same time. Part of comedy is laughing at tragedy, so, you know.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Tragedy and comedy go so hand-in-hand. Hand. It is it is a rough thing, and uh, it, you have to be able to laugh about it enjoy it because you have to still be able to celebrate their lives no matter what. So the plane crash didn't end their legacy. It only ended their lives, and it is sad that it happened, but how many years ago is that now, and me and Ian are sitting here recording a goddamn podcast about it, like, to you guys That's a legacy. That's not just a life, you know?
1: Yeah, 1959, it's 2020 now. I mean, that was, fuck, dude, 60 years ago.
0: 63 years. Yeah, 63 years, 61 years. Yeah, 61. Yeah, 61 years. You said 59, right? Yep. Yeah, Yeah, so 61 years. That's fucking, that's a lot. It's twice my life. Not quite twice my life. (laughs) Yeah, well, almost (laughs) twice. Yeah, I was trying to de-age myself a little bit. (laughs) God damn it.
1: And so Buddy Holly's funeral was held at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. Maria would not attend Buddy Holly's funeral. She had just suffered a miscarriage. Oh my God. Fucking hell. Can you imagine?
0: (sighs) That's fucking devastating. Like, that's just...
1: As sad as it was for me to get to Buddy Holly's and... I think that's the saddest part of this whole story right there. Yeah,
0: dude, that just, that hurts. Like, just for, it's just being as, as like, I don't know, invested in this story as I was, knowing the ending. Like, that's, that's that double hit. Like, that's the, I thought I knew the sad ending, but I didn't know the really, really sad ending. And that is truly terrible. Like, that, that breaks my fucking heart, if I'm being completely honest.
1: Yeah, honestly, like, When I read the first half of that sentence, I was like, what a fucking bitch. And then I read the second half, I'm like, oh, fuck.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah. Suddenly you don't feel uh, so outraged.
1: So she still owns the rights to Buddy Holly's name, image, and trademarks and other intellectual property. She's 87 years old right now. Oh, so she's still alive. She's still alive.
0: Well, that's cool. I mean, that's something.
1: And with the sad ending, I need to lighten it up just a little bit, dude. <laughs> so we're going to do one final check out the song. And these are probably my top three other than Midnight Shift songs. Yeah, lay it on me. Come on. We got Ravon.
0: Oh, oh, so good. Because it's a so crazy, crazy feeling, right? Yep, yep. because it's crazy feeling. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Another song that
1: we've listened to a thousand times. And probably one of the coolest intros to any rock and roll song it's like super basic but there's this weird like chord and single note tandem that's like super simple to play that just works so well and is maybe baby yeah (laughs) it's
0: just really fun to sing along to as well the the song really is just
1: his songs are fucking singable for some reason that intro has always left an impression in my mind yeah it
0: it is very very good and it's just such a such a catchy and poppy tune in the right kind of way that's one thing he was able to do is come off with pop that was not cheesed
1: yeah he had a catchiness that really just didn't come off as cheap yeah and that's that's awesome i really think that's cool you know we're pretty deep into this podcast already i did not expect a guy who lived to be 22 to have so much stuff we could talk about honestly yeah no it's it's amazing actually but I think it's time for our last thoughts. Yeah, it,
0: it 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 always do get to this point, right? I mean, we it's the end, so we have to do the last thoughts. I, I guess I'll go first.
1: Oh, all right, all right.
0: No soapbox for you guys this evening. Uh, we're going to keep it nice and simple. I, I'm just going to do what I think is right and pay simple homage to an amazing musician. Like, you know, it... it <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times in my life alone I've gotten, like, sad about Buddy Holly's passing. Like, you know, independently over my life, even since I was, like, probably eight years old, the first time I finally understood really what, you know, American Pie was about. Like, I I must have been sad about his death hundreds of times since then. And it really does go to show the value of what he produced not just musically because i'm gonna be honest i think i was sad about his death long before i enjoyed his music i wasn't eight years old listening to buddy holly's music and jamming on it and truly appreciating it i i was sad about the folklore the the way you know what i mean like the the three great musicians getting on a plane and the plane crash and everything that you know the the emotion that all the songs that that are you know in honor of it like gave to you that was enough like that was folklore for the sad rock and roll death and then to finally like get like into my 20s and realize he fucking made just amazing music and i also really loved the music he made and just the the story gets more complex and more more sad the more you actually read into it it's it is just truly a piece of like american folklore and i'm not uh, like i can't be glad that it happened but a, a rock and roll guy like that just truly deserves to to have that be his his end you know what i mean like immortalized with his you know with with such a great death equaling such sad outcomes it is it is truly a rock and roll vibe and you know what just fuck it thank you buddy holly you rock
1: oh yeah my last thoughts are gonna be along the same vein like honestly you know and we've joked about this before i have buddy holly tattooed on me you know but he really did change the way i look at music because i love rockabilly i play heavy metal but rockabilly is some of the funnest fucking music out there but i don't even know if i really consider him rockabilly honestly like he was different than his contemporaries honestly He's just his own damn thing he that's- was he was rockabilly. He was rock and roll, whatever you want to call him. He but was a little bit pop. like Yeah. He just, he did his own thing and made some amazing music and did it in such a finite amount of time. Yeah. 22, man. 20 22. Fucking two. He
0: couldn't even make it to the 27 Club. I never did anything before I was 22. Nothing I'm, I'm like still, that. I'm still generally useless, but by 22, I was way more useless than I am now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, he really did shape the way I look at music. It's like if you're going to play, you know, the typical genre music, you might as well tweak it in the way that's your own style.
0: Always make it your own. And that's something he always really did and showed just the most prolific outcomes with.
1: And honestly, like, I don't really have a whole lot more in my last thoughts, but like, doing this research again. Actually finding out all the stuff I thought I knew about him was actually true. You know, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty relieving. And also at the same time, like really sad. Yeah.
0: It was like reliving a sadness that I already knew was sad. You know what I mean? Like I, I always knew I knew what happened, like when we started this, but once again, here I am at the end and, you know, I managed to not only make myself a little sad, but you know, really, really once again, be in awe of what it is, you know?
1: Well, and it's such a weird turn from the way this episode's gone because we were giggling and laughing. Yeah, it's a, it's and It's a
0: fun, like, he's got a fun life. He's yeah. a good dude. No, he didn't no do nothing. anything stupid. <laughs> nothing, no. no nothing. Yeah. He, he didn't do anything to nobody.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he just wanted to make some fun music. Like, there's nothing wrong he did and to end it in such a tragic way. It's just like. Fuck, what could he have been? And that's the biggest thing I took away from doing this because when I first learned about him and started reading about him, I used to always think, what could have his music become? I've kind of left the thought process, you know, as I've grown, but doing this research again, I'm going, fuck, what could have his music become? Yeah. Ex- especially hearing those apartment tapes. Ten more which, years? What, which what's I heard. the
0: 60s Buddy Holly like, you know yeah. what I mean?
1: Well, and like those apartment tapes, which I've heard, but I didn't know the story behind them. It's like now I'm really wondering what could have become of it. He could have been like a fucking like, you know, a super influential folk musician. Yeah, mega star like al- along with Dave Van Ronk and Buddy Holly. You know, he was in the same scene like yeah. right at the beginning stages of it. Yeah,
0: we could have had House of the Rising Sun by Buddy Holly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> who stole it from Dave Van Yeah, rog. We could have been making and this. Bo- and we, Bob Dylan stole it from him. Yeah, we could have been making <laughs> this
0: joke in a whole different way all this time. And and unfortunately a plane took that from us. Well, before we uh end this so more gracefully than that, next week we have our finale of our uh big old season four here. We're diving into somebody who I'm actually extremely excited to talk about.
1: Yeah. I've read some of the brief overview of his life, and there's gonna be some fun stuff there's in there. There's gonna be some good stuff,
0: yeah. So we got Screaming Jay Hawkins. He's fucking amazing. I don't know if it, it, I put a spell on you. Yeah, he
1: did that before CCR. Take that CCR. Yeah. Stealing from
0: another person, huh? Yep, CCR the thief thievers.
1: But after that, we're uh,
0: we're moving into season five, and I just want to thank everybody for listening. Because we, look, we, we looked at our, uh, our stats and shit. We're getting views from around the world in the strangest countries. And,
1: and yeah, honestly, like, if you like us, you know, we want to get more people. We want to get your friends, you know, your family listening to this. You know, we do this, honestly, for fun at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we are not really, we we do very little to try and sell ourselves, like market wise, because we're not really interested in that. We just want to do the history thing and we want to get out to as many people as possible. And so the way you can help with that is just give us good ratings. You know, fucking check out our social medias. I know they're not really that active, but that's because we're not really social media people. But if you talk at us or to us, you'll probably get a reply. Probably from one of us for real because there's no, like, actual person working our social media
1: but us. And honestly, you'll help us extend our love of music out to more people because, you know, we truly do believe that music is the thing that brings everybody together. And that's what we're trying to do. Oh, and uh, we are trying to throw together a season of world
0: music in a couple seasons. So if you're from somewhere that's not the United States and you got some cool, like, local world music, uh, start throwing us recommendations. We'll put it in the uh, list and
1: you never know. Your favorite artist from your country might be someone we do an episode on. Who knows? I
0: would love to do some research on some people that I really was like that separated from. Because I know a couple like even Italian artists that I looked into a little bit and I I, I put them on the list for us. So either way, we love you. Thank you all for coming out this evening. We're sorry we made you sad with Buddy Holly sadness. Um,
1: Hopefully we made you happy that he's got some amazing songs though. Yep, exactly. So
0: as always, have a fantastic evening.
1: Have a good night.